Welcome to Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness in action. I'm your host, Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. And with us today is Colleen Cooper. What's up, Colleen? Hey. Welcome to the show, Colleen. Yep, welcome. Grateful to be here. Right. We've got um, a fun conversation, I think, coming up. But first, we have even more fun to have uh, <laughs> Ben. <laughs> You sound really, you sound really fun. You, you sound like you're about to have fun. You I'm sound really excited fun. about this. You, you said you were excited about the question. I'm excited about it. I just, I hope I haven't done this one before because I'm, in, I'm curious to hear the answers. So uh, this also is going to give away where we're going with the episode, but it's connected. The question's connected. We're talking about calling today and I'll just leave it at that. But um, one of the things you see in, especially in the Old Testament, when God would call people to certain things, sometimes there was like a, a change of name, right? So that got me thinking. I was like, I wonder what nicknames these ladies had when they were little kids. So like if like if your if your parents or siblings gave you a nickname, that's shareable that you're willing to share. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to embarrass anybody too much on this. Uh, what was a nickname that you were called? Uh, I could be at any time in your life, but I think I was thinking primarily like early childhood, since that's usually a little bit more endearing. It's a little bit weirder when you're like, you know, 25 and somebody's calling you something, but maybe not, maybe not, maybe that's still a thing. So, so nickname that you had when you were little. This is a very touchy subject for me because I always really, really wanted a nickname. I thought they oh, were no. so cool. And like, I just, it just never happened for me. Okay. We are spending the rest of the episode <laughs> coming up with a killer nickname for you, Emily. Yeah. But there's nothing like, not even like a Emmy boo from your dad or mom or anything no, like that. Definitely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, like M is like classic M like, but um, I don't know. That just doesn't feel like a nickname to me, you know, right, right, like right, right. it's just kind of like, that's eh, fine. But so, yeah, by the time I was like in high school, I mostly went by Luttrell by most of my friends. Oh, yeah. So Luttrell. like yeah. that's how they say it in the hallways. That's exactly the what they all sounded like. Yeah, Luttrell. pretty much. Yep. But yeah, no, I yep. never, never really, never really had one of those. Okay. Well, I do think maybe I'll put it on the staff retreat agenda. Great. Later this year. I would appreciate spend it. Spend some time coming up with a nickname for you. What about you, Colleen? Yeah, what about you, Colleen? Well, I can relate to not exactly feeling like I had something that was like completely separate, but it's funny that you mentioned your last name. I started having that after I got married. I moved up in the alphabet to C. And so Coop, <laughs> because Cooper is my last name, became Coop. And the people around me, like that I worked with and everything, I'm like, all right, I finally got a nickname. <laughs> Um, but before that, it was just like at my, you know, like my younger brother would call me Kalina Colada. And oh, that's like, a good one. Kalina, things like that. So kind of playing with the name, but again, not exactly different. Um, but when I lived in Kenya, just a, a little bit of my life there, a very short segment, um, one of my best friends there who's Kenyan actually would call me Kolo because like as a way of like endearment for all of his friends, he would like shorten their name and put low at the end of it. Oh, <laughs> so, I became Colo. That's awesome. So that was the closest. But again, that was in my 20s. So, you know, I don't no, know. That, counts, that counts. 
as a yeah. cop. I mean, it was another country. So I, 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 I do <laughs> like the, what was it? Colleen Collada? But how did they say it? Yeah, Colleen Collada. Colleen Collada. <laughs> Sounds like a refreshing beverage. <laughs> there you go. If we were to have a menu of uncharted cocktails, that would be one. <laughs> I love it. Um, as long as it has of, the umbrella, it, yeah, you know, yeah. you got to right. picture it, right? Yeah. It's got to have and the like umbrella. Lots of fruity things on a skewer, mm-hmm. you know. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of embarrassed. I asked this question now. I thought for sure you two would have like some really unique, cutesy names, but I guess. Maybe I was the only one that had like the family that came up with dumb random nicknames because I had a ton <laughs> and we've kind of, we've kind of like carried that on in our family today. Both our kids have a ton of nicknames. Um, there is a book by beat an old, like an old book from like England by a author named Beatrix Potter. And it's about, yeah. it's a kid's book, like has all these little animals. Isn't it just Peter Rabbit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there was another one. Yeah, Peter Rabbit. And there was Benjamin. There was a Benjamin. And so they called me uh, Benjamin Bunny. They called me for a while <laughs> in my family. And that turned into Beedronut. I'm not really sure how. Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. Somehow I got to Beedronut. And then um, I feel like it made a, a few more evolutions, but I can't really remember them. So those were those were the main ones. Well, I was just going to say, does that mean we call you Beedronut now? Yeah, yeah. As long as you don't call me Benji, because there was also a dog movie or a movie about a dog named Benji in the eighties, and I hated the movie. And so if anybody called me Benji, I got really so upset. Benji is bad, but Benjamin Bunny, you thought that that's was totally okay? fine. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> when I was growing up in church and in Sunday school as a kid, the idea that you might be called to be a missionary in China was almost a scare tactic that was used to get us to behave. International workers would come home and visit our classes and say things like, I told God I would never move to Tanzania, but he had other plans. And stuff like that just planted the idea in my mind that God might have a specific job for me to do, and it might not be something that I want. Even as I got older, I heard a lot about how it could be dangerous to ask God what he wants for you, because he might actually answer, and then you would actually have to do it. But this time it wasn't a scare tactic. It was supposed to be motivational. Like, come on, don't you want to live your purpose? Don't you want to achieve incredible things? Aren't you tough enough? Using the idea of God's call as either a scare tactic or a push toward personal achievement is probably not the healthiest way of thinking about our purpose and responsibilities as Christians. So in this episode, we're talking with Uncharted's development director, Colleen Cooper, and we're asking questions like... How do you know when God calls you to something? Does he call you to things you don't want to do? And is a call to missions always a call to be a missionary? Hey, Colleen, thanks for joining us this episode. We are are really glad that you could join us. And uh, you've been on our team now for several months, but this is your first podcast. So for the listener, give us a little bit of a quick Reader's Digest bio of who's, who's Colleen, your family, um, you know, things like that. Yeah. Hey, so grateful to be here. Really thankful to be a part of this team at Uncharted. Um, I am uh, a wife uh, as of about 12 years, almost 13 this fall. So that's really exciting. And I'm a mom of two boys. So that's an adventure in and of itself. (laughs) And add to that, 
mix, we rescued a husky. And so we have a very opinionated dog in our home as well. <laughs> that acts like a third child. <laughs> um, so you came into this role for director of development, um, but you, you've had a long history of working um, in other nonprofits, some of those, you know, local outreach oriented, some of them uh, more globally focused. You even mentioned just earlier when we were talking about the question about nicknames that you had briefly lived over in Kenya. So you do have a variety of experience. Um, tell us about like the role at Uncharted specifically, what attracted you to it, both in terms of the role, but based on your experience, like as you stepped into this role, director of development, what does that mean? You know, other than like a cool sounding title, like what does that mean about the position and what about it drew, drew you to it based on your past experience and the things that you're passionate about? Well, God was really working in my heart a lot. Um, as you mentioned, I was at an organization that was very community-based and very um, community development focused. And it was there that God was just drumming in my heart again about global outreach and a global impact and influence for my work. And just leaning into that in prayer, God was really moving to move me from that position into Uncharted, where we are focused globally, where there is such a huge connection to my heartbeat, which is for the lost. Um, and so I just saw alignment of my passions as in the areas of, you know, just connecting people's um, heartbeats and resources with missions of organizations, um, as well as being able to further the gospel in places that are really hard to reach. And so that just seemed like oh kind of moment if I can say it like that um but just God worked that out but that was really what started it all very cool so today we're talking all about this idea of calling and like you know hearing from God who's just going to come down and tell you exactly what you're supposed to be doing with your life hopefully I, I'm assuming that's how it works um, it's that easy yeah right um I and I think especially um the mission field tends to be a place where people usually have, if you're in the mission field, usually like, yes, I've been called to this, uh, whether that is living abroad or being in missions, um, like working out uncharted, something like that. Um, so Colleen, I, I mean, we know you lived in Kenya. We know you have some sort of calling towards missions. So I'm curious about your story of, um, you know, did you have this moment where God like sent down a scroll with an angel and it said, Hey, move to this, <laughs> move to this t place at this time and do this <laughs> thing. Or, um, yeah. What's your story with getting involved in this? You know, I wish I had something so clear and dramatic as like a scroll from heaven, Emily, that would be beautiful. <laughs> um, but I guess it started more say when I first became a believer, so I became a believer at 16. I was one of the first believers in my nuclear family. And um, as I think back on that, it reminds me actually of a story we recently heard from one of our field partners in Central Asia. And she had shared the gospel with a woman God connected her with who accepted Jesus and shared that she now feels a sense that she has a new responsibility. And that responsibility, sorry, that responsibility will be with her for the rest of her life. And I just really resonated with that. I just felt like that really sums it up. Like, I felt a deep desire and responsibility that if I cared about the people around me, why wouldn't I tell them about Jesus who loves them so incredibly more than I can imagine. Mm. And so similar to Matthew four, being a fisher of people that became like the verse that really surrounded that stage of my life. Uh, and then fast forward to my college years. I remember, oh my goodness, because of my major and trying to balance my life, I had two part-time jobs and 
the only time I could really get God time was really late at night. So my other, you know, roommates were asleep and I was couched over my little desk lamp <laughs> reading the Bible. And I just remember reclining at my desk chair, rereading John 21, where Jesus is reinstating Peter. And it was like God was just directing those words directly at me. He was saying to me, feed my lambs, tend my sheep and follow me. And so I just felt like this would probably be walked out in every book I'd ever read about missionaries <laughs> and, <laughs> and every page of the scripture. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to be like Paul's missionary journeys. Right. So I had like my own image in my mind about what that would look like, but little did I know how it would actually walk out. Mm. But it was really cool because I did actually get more clarity as to the where a little bit later on. I was um, praying over, well, a friend of mine had actually invited me to consider going to Africa. I specifically thought that God would send me somewhere internationally and it would be somewhere that would be Spanish, uh, Spanish as the primary language because I was really good in that. And mm -hmm. I had already had a Spanish speaking church that was run by missionaries that I was a part of, a Spanish speaking Bible study, all of those things. So I felt like I check all those boxes, God, it just makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really cool that God could change the imagery that I had with an invitation for my friend to pray about a different location. Um, and so I, as you guys heard earlier on this, I actually went to Kenya and to make a long story short, um, this calling felt to me like, okay, I did that, but what now, you know, like mm -hmm. I still, I still have this life. I want to live on purpose, God. Uh, so it was really powerful that God reframed this concept for me during my master's degree. So I was focused on, um, getting a, a yeah, a master's degree in organizational leadership and it was there that they had me read some books and, you know, just study some leaders. And I got to really dive into discussions about calling and purpose and mission statement, and all that good stuff, and really evaluating what it means to feed and take care of, you know, God's sheep and what that could look like and learn that it can have completely different contexts. And in all of them, I'm still living out what God had really purposed, like really made inside of me in the core of me, that was me, that was able to just come out and then positively influence and um, yeah, just allow his love and his word to go into other people's lives. And so that was kind of the mission field, right? It, it was Kenya at one point, it became my neighbors wherever I lived at another point. Um, it became those that I taught the Bible to, you know, each different place in my life was literally the mission field. So I was literally feeding people when I was volunteering at a food pantry or spiritually feeding them when I was teaching the Bible to them. And I think it really helped unstick this concept of calling in my life that I was stuck on after I came back from overseas work, because it helped me to see that I was still purposed and it just looked different in the context that God provided me to now working at Uncharted, which is so close to my heartbeat. That's, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing all that background. And there's uh, a ton in there that would be fun to go back to and unpack. And you hit on this a little bit already, but what were some things that, um, that you would go, that you would point to either experiences or voices that like confirmed or helped keep crystallizing your call? Does that make sense? Um, yeah. And that's a great question. I think for sure there was friends and scripture um, that were confirming and affirming it. But I think there was also a struggle because being a female, being in Western society, 
um, there was a real push and encouragement towards male leadership in the Christian circles and um, specifically like the college that I went to and just the different theology that was there. Um, there was almost a push against Mm. me leading in that way or preaching and teaching. Um, and so I really had to wrestle through and be like, well, God, now how do I understand this? So as much as there was positive affirmation through different people in my life, um, some of those that I, you know, considered mentors to even just friends that I've known for so long, even people that I would just randomly meet, you know, God was just using them to confirm and affirm. And then the scriptures that I was reading as I had my God time too, but then also people that I would like people would see as like, oh, those are spiritual leaders or people like you should respect and look to for advice were telling me the opposite. So it, yeah, it was a struggle to discern. Mm -hmm. So you really had to like push through some of that and persevere through some of the roadblocks, even, even roadblocks that had a uh, veneer or framing of theological um, so that's interesting that you, what, what helped you push through that and, and know that there was still this calling that was deeper than some of the, uh, Western theological roadblocks you came up against. Yeah. I think it would just have to be this, like knowing, like in the core of me, I guess that's the best way to say it. Like, I just knew that I knew that I knew that God had gifted and purposed and like designed me in a certain way. And all of those skill sets wouldn't be wasted. His word would not return to him void. And so taking him up on his promises and looking in the scriptures and seeing that it wasn't discriminatory, you know, like the Bible doesn't have any like exclusionary language yeah. about like things like that. Um, and so I really appreciated God, like just continuing to encourage me in that way and just living that out and saying, okay, then it doesn't matter because with God, nothing is impossible, even though, you know, with people it can be. It's cool. Ben, how similar does that sound like to you in your calling towards ministry? Like, did you, did you have a moment like that where you were, um, I mean, calling sounds very spiritual she was reading scripture and then he, you know, he's, he's from God, um, against the face of adversity. I mean, I doubt you were discouraged from pursuing vocational ministry because of your gender, but, um, like yes, and I'm also not nearly as spiritual as Colleen, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> very different experience. Yeah. But do you do, do, have you felt like before, like you you felt called into ministry or missions? Yeah, yeah, I actually did have um, my own version of uh, sort of a profound moment where, and it was like, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, and so language I would use today is a lot clearer in terms of talking about it as a calling at the moment. I don't know that I would have used that language, um, but it was actually the year that I spent in New Zealand. It was so without getting into all the detail, like I grew up in a, in a, as a pastor's kid uh, in a church context and the churches that we were in were just incredibly legalistic and unhealthy and a lot of spiritual abuse. And I don't throw that phrase out lightly as, you know, really just toxic places so I had a lot of animosity towards the church um, when I went down to New Ze when I went down to live in New Zealand, and and yet I had this very profound moment. And I can still remember it very distinctly. Um, I had skipped out on going to church uh, while I was down there. I still totally had a relationship with Jesus, though. Like I, it was never a, an issue with Jesus. Um, it was more just an issue with 
with the local church. And um, so I was just having my own sort of time uh, talking to him about things. And I had a very powerful uh, interruption, I would say, from the from the spirit um, that did a combination of, of things in that moment. And one was teach me individually or reveal to me would be maybe a better word, um, the concept of, of grace and freedom in Christ. Because I, I had been living a very works-based faith, hmm. which that's an oxymoron. Um, <laughs> and, and so the spirit like really opened my eyes to, to freedom in Christ and grace and simultaneously changed my heart. I would almost say like melted my heart towards, towards the church, capital C. And, um, almost like, again, I wouldn't have used these words at the, at the time, but this is what the experience was like. He, he almost like acknowledged the pain that my family went through. Um, but then also called, and this is where this distinct calling came in. He's like, I want you to help bring beauty to the, to my bride, um, which sounds arrogant saying it that, and I don't mean it that way, but like, that's, that's the, that's the change in heart. That's how profound it was, you know, instead of being cynical and angry and ticked off and resentful the rest of your life, like help bring beauty to the, to my bride, to, to the church, to my people, cause you're one of them. Um, and so that was the moment where I was like, oh, I'm going into vocational ministry. Hmm. Um, and how that has looked like when I was back at that point, when I was 17, 18, I thought the pathway or the trajectory of that call would take a certain expression. And that has totally changed. Like <laughs> things I'm doing today, I would have never projected in that moment way back when that I would be doing. Um, but that call has remained, if that makes sense. So that's kind of a long answer to your question, Emily, but, um, I guess the short answer is yes, there was a profound <laughs> call <laughs> kind of on that note though. I'm curious what you ladies would say about, um, like, do you think there is any difference? And if so, I'm curious to hear the way that you would describe it. Uh, the difference between calling and vocation and like, are there, you know, if you think of a Venn diagram, like. Is, is calling one distinct circle and vocation another? Is there an overlap? Can there be an overlap? If so, what does that look like? Um, are, are all people called, all followers of Jesus called to certain things in the same ways? Are there distinct or unique callings? So I just threw out a litany of questions, um, but kind of that realm of, of question. Curious how you ladies would respond to that. I mean, my first response is like, I hope not, because I feel like I have not had a, a sense of calling in the same, like calling in a sense of like toward a vocation um, within or without ministry, like just in general. I think a lot of people get a call from God to pursue something other than ministry. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I have tended to narrow down this idea of calling to vocation. Like it probably was a synonym for me at some point in my life. Um, but through some, like, a, either a book or a sermon that I don't remember very well, but it made it impact. Like, I don't remember where I heard it, but it made it impact was, um, everybody does have a calling to something, but the calling is to salvation and reconciliation with God. Hmm. Um, and so like, that is the, that is the first foremost thing that God wants 
and everybody has that calling. Um, and then, uh, if you pursue those things through your life, then, you know, you, you're working within God's purpose. You're not necessarily purposeless just because you don't have a moment where you're like, yes, this is something that I feel directed towards. Yeah, that's good. It's a good response. What about you, Colleen? What would you add to that or say differently? Yeah, I think sometimes it does come down to definition. I was thinking about that and I was thinking about like the different messages that I've heard or the different like um, speakers that have presented on topics of like vocation or co bivocational work for pastors, for example, things like that. And so I think calling and vocation and that kind of like Emily was saying, they kind of evoke the same thing, but I do think it can be, so that could be like the middle of the Venn diagram, but I do think there can be maybe like layers to calling in that way, because of course we all need to work to just make basic needs happen, right? You know, to, to meet our basic needs. Um, but if within that environment, we see that as an opportunity to live on purpose, as Emily is saying, as believers in Christ, we can live on purpose in those settings and then see the opportunity around us as an opportunity to share the gospel and to share the love of Jesus in a way that you know, makes sense for that setting is safe for that setting, then that um, is a layer of calling that I think, like Emily's saying, is all Christ followers have the commission, right? Like, that's just a part of what it is. But I think there's other ways that it too is like, well, we just have to work to get a paycheck doesn't mean necessarily that like, this is the job that God wrote on the scroll and sent down to me to read <laughs> and was like a chorus of angels singing so that I got the message. Um, but I think that it's our viewpoint, like it's, it's our framework. Um, so yes, I could go and like be a marine biologist and just love it because it's something that I really want to do with my life and the change I want to make in this world. But if I also layer in that, hey, I'm a believer and I also want to make sure that I can impact whoever's in my sphere, whatever that looks like with the love and knowledge of Jesus, mm -hmm. then that just puts an extra layer of calling to that layer and just personalizes it. So I think almost like maybe there's a, a, a big C calling and then like a more personal C calling, if that makes sense. Um, but they can live apart from each other. And I think it all depends on people's intentionality. Like we can live with one and almost miss the other sometimes, I think. it's mm. good. I think one misconception I've had about the idea of calling is what I referenced in the intro to this episode of like that when God calls you to something, it will be to something that is hard and that you don't actually want. And you're going to have to like sacrifice and, um, you know, give something, give something up. There's this idea, um, that I heard about in church for the first time a few weeks ago. Um, this, the, the negative will of God, it's like this idea that, um, whatever, like if I have two choices before me, whichever one is going to requ require the most sacrifice, whichever the one I want the least, which is going to be the hardest, that's probably what God wants me to do. So that, that must be God's calling. Um, and I mean, both of you do have stories where like your, your calling has manifested in different ways than maybe what you initially thought of like a completely different continent than maybe you thought you were going to go on or just in different spheres. So I'd be curious of what either of you would have to say to that idea that, um, you know, a call, even in thinking of the story of Jonas and the Bible of like, you know, you're directed to something that you don't want to do and you really hate doing and you wish someone else would do, but God's like, Nope, you're the one I'm sending. 
Um, so yeah, I just, do you guys have thoughts? Is that, are you just going to say like, yes, no, correct. True. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely think, well, I think we're people, right? And so people, we, we are, we're finite in our minds and our understandings, and we also prefer to be comfortable and we prefer to have the familiar and we prefer to put God in a box. And well, sometimes I can frame it like that of like, this is what it will look like, God, or this is how you'll act in this moment, right, God? You know, if we unpack that a little bit, it, it kind of boils down to that sometimes. Um, but I think what I have seen in those moments is that it was more about me than anything else. Like God was putting his thumb on me to work on a specific area of my heart or my life that I, I didn't realize I hadn't yet opened up to him. Mm. And so, for example, when he was saying specifically, no, I actually am calling you to Africa, not to a Spanish speaking country. I had my list of no's and he had his list of yeses and goes in response. And it all came down to me thinking, um, I, the lessons that God wanted to teach me or that I, I, I received from those, um, wrestlings was he is good. Like when we enter in those moments and we really allow ourselves to wrestle through with our faith and like, we know, <laughs> but when we really come to a place of getting to really wrestle and experience it, then we can really know. And ultimately that's what it's about is that trust and that like connection with him and saying like, God, then if there's this place in me or in my heart that says no, then I do want you to work on that because I do want to become more like you. It's putting that priority, at least for me, it was putting that priority on him and what he saw and not on my finite vision and mindset. And it was really, it was freeing. It became almost more peaceful that way. And that was actually the word that I would describe it with. After having that wrestling with the Lord, I was like, wow, I have this great sense of peace. I'm going to Africa and God's going to open the door. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to be amazing. I don't have to defend God. He is big enough to do all of that. I had put him in a box. I didn't realize it. I had limited what he could do in my life about it and didn't realize it. Like he can make me, you know, have a heart for people that I didn't consider before. Like this is, a, this is remarkable. Like, oh God, yay. And so like, I think it was just the, the changing of my heart that needed to happen more than anything else. And along with that came the reframing for my mind. I think that's really well said, Colleen. And, um, you know, maybe the only word that I would, I would add to it because I, th I think my short answer to your question, if I'm understanding your question, right, Emily would be no. Oh, that's a relief then. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Um, I, I really do see now again, hindsight's 2020, but I really do see how, and, and the word that came to mind was the ways in which the Lord has directed me and, and my family, us collectively, um, even, even though they haven't always made sense, um, I see this pattern of flourishing and, and as I look back, like even the seasons that were full of adversity or, um, stepping into things that were really challenging, or I, on the, on the outset, I didn't really want to do, um, consistently, I see a pattern of every time I respond to what God is calling me towards, I, I see flourishing. Um, and so I don't see a disparity or I, I think it's like a false dichotomy to say doing what God has called us to do is just going to be like really crappy and miserable. And I'm going to be annoyed with my life and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't mean it won't be hard, but, but speaking from my experience alone. So I'll acknowledge that. Um, especially through those seasons of hardship and, and struggle, I, I continue to see just that pattern of flourishing. Um, 
in the ways that the Lord has refined me, in the ways that he's called things out, in the ways that he has put me in places where my giftings and passions are actually better suited than what I thought, um, and so on and so forth. So I was trying to resist this analogy, Emily, but because we've got two Tolkien nerds here, I just have to go for it. If you want to take this out, you can, because <laughs> of the same time. But the the moment that came to my mind was Bilbo Baggins at the beginning of The Hobbit, when Gandalf is trying to egg him on and goad him to go on the adventure. And at first he's like highly resistant and uh, you know, the dwarves come into his live life and they're super messy and they mess everything up. And, and then uh, you know, they leave and he goes running out the door uh, you know, realizing, wait, no, I want to do this. Mm. And you know, then the sequence is this amazing adventure that certainly was filled with a lot of hardship along the way, but look at the, amazing story and the ripple effect of what it led to. Um, so as cheesy as that is like that scene of Bilbo Baggins resistance at first, and then like bursting out the door and the story that followed, uh, is, is like to me, a great imagery of responding to God's calling. It is a little cheesy, but I'll allow it. (laughs) So Kind of coming back full circle, talking about this idea of of vocation and calling, and obviously we've just like touched the tip of the iceberg here. Colleen, when you think about your role at Uncharted and you think about um, what you were saying earlier in terms of your calling and the way the Lord has has sort of led your trajectory in that, um, the role that you have, you know, there's a lot of different components to it, but at the heart, it's very relational, right? And, and that is something we talk a lot about as an organization. Uh, you're going to hear in a second, like the way that we're helping connect relational bridges between churches here in the West and our field partners in different parts of the world, including Serbia. Uh, so we'll hear about that um, towards the end of this podcast. But for you, as you stepped into this role, um, talk a little bit about from a, from the standpoint of a director of development, the aspect of curating the relationship, why that's important to you personally, why that's important to you as part of your calling, things of that nature. I think of it as kind of like building bridges. And I see our supporters and their heart to make a difference and make an impact and their heart for the gospel and kingdom work. And then I think about our field partners and the brave women and men who are doing amazing gospel expansion expansion um, in places that are super scary, super hard. And I just think it's a beautiful picture of being able to, to tell those stories and connect those parts of the body together and just shoulder this kingdom work together and helping them know that it's really them doing it together. Yeah, Uncharted is helping to make the stories be told or to connect the two different parts of the body, but it's really about them and what they're doing together. And that really excites me and being able to help inform and help connect and just build that bridge. At a recent donor event, we were able to hear again from Will Barnes, who was a previous guest on our podcast. And he talked with our engagement director, Jeremy Locke, about a experience he had on an uncharted trip um, and how that has impacted him. This was such a great conversation, and it really highlights uh, a value that Uncharted has, which is developing friendship between our field partners and our church partners or our donors or supporters. 
uh, and building a relationship and the idea of doing missions together. So we wanted to make sure you guys had an opportunity to hear that too. So here's a brief bit of their conversation. My name is Jeremy and I'm the VP of engagement here at Uncharted. And with me is my friend, Will. Will leads uh, one of our churches that we partner with. And uh, like we've been talking about, friendship is really important. And so it's been fun to be able to develop that friendship together. Um, and Will, you're you're kind of representing tonight what is uh, a big part of, of Uncharted. And that's the churches that have come alongside uh, what a lot of these brave men and women are doing. And so, uh, Will, I want to give you the chance to talk a little bit about um, the specific field partner that you've chosen to come alongside. Yeah, well, thanks. And it's an honor to be representing that. And uh, last fall, I had the amazing opportunity to go to Serbia mm -hmm. and met all these pastors and people who were doing these works there that was just amazing and incredible. And so many things about that trip was meaningful for me personally, but also just to see God's kingdom work, knowing that sometimes as a local pastor, I can get very focused on just looking at what God's doing right in front of me. And that means, though, the downside of that is my view of God's kingdom is just what's happening right mm -hmm. in front of me. And I knew not only did I need to be shaken out of that tunnel vision of kingdom, but our church did as well. And, I, and that was really important for, um, for, for me to sort of go as an extension of the church to begin to develop a relationship. Yeah. And for me, I really connected with Donko, who's a pastor there. And there was this moment at the end of the Serbia trip we're all sitting around this big table sharing pizzas and, you know, and, and just enjoying each other's company and everyone's sharing contact information, you know, and, uh, and I, and I, and I got his contact inf info and I sent this note to Donko and I said, Hey, it's, it's Will. I'm at the end of the table. And then he said, uh, uh, Will who, which table? And I just knew at that moment, like this, I want to get along with this guy, yeah. you know, like <laughs> I, I, I resonate with this and, uh, and I appreciate it. And ever since then, there's been, since that original message following that for me, you know, I can only speak for myself, but it's been immensely meaningful just to have someone that I can say, hey, pray for me in this way, or I can ask, how can I pray for you? And, and, and even, uh, just, just knowing that, that there is someone on the other side of the world who is, um, you know, experiencing the same highs and lows of ministry is, is, is phenomenally beneficial for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool, man. And so you've been a partner with Uncharted for a long time. Um, what does it mean for uh, a partnership uh, like like you and what's happening in Serbia to, huh. to move from just a partnership to what has become a relationship or even a friendship? Yeah. I, I mean, I would definitely uh, view Donko as a friend mm -hmm. at this point. And it's odd because I don't want to make more of it, but I also can't make less of it. I, I realize that this friendship exists in a space in my life, in my heart, in, in my ministry, in my view of the kingdom. I, I didn't even, um, uh, and I realize this, this kind of sounds, you know, maybe very limited in my, in my, uh, in my understanding, but um, I didn't even realize this kind of friend could exist. This idea oh, that yeah. you could have this level of depth and sharing with someone, but yet not necessarily be seeing them on a regular basis. There's distance, there's space. Um, the moments we have together are few and far between physically, mm -hmm. but the fact that we're united in this kingdom effort, um, that I, I can see how God's moving where he is at. He can see where God's moving where I'm at. We can share with each other those those struggles and those victories and just celebrate together and also pray for each other in the hard stuff. For, for me, that's just an immensely beneficial thing, but it's also a, a category of friendship that I didn't um, one didn't really even understand was possible to have at that level, 
Um, but also I, I didn't even realize how much I needed, you yeah. know, because it does keep me out of just looking at what God's doing in front of me and helps me recognize that I, I have a friend God's moving in too. Yeah. And, uh, in, in different ways and showing and experiencing grace in ways that I can I can sort of vicariously see. And it's beautiful. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So you obviously have developed this friendship, yeah. but you also represent a community of people, a church. Um, so how do you feel like your friendship with Donko has kind of filtered down into the community that you lead? Yeah. Well, it's interesting when I when we when I walked into the church, you know, where, where Donko was there with his leadership team and they're all holding these services. Um I I I just I couldn't help but think to myself, this is like, this is like Sojourn, the church that I go to, but just like over here, like there were so many like little nuances of the same, like little stuff, like they were using the same mixer board we use, and the you know like little things. It's yeah. like oh, that's kind of like ours, you know. And there was this sense of connection, and there was enough uh, similarities and overlaps, and I realized like they're ministering to a a lot of people who who maybe had experience of church but has left the church and are maybe now coming back and i think it's sojourn a lot of us are, are are working with people who maybe grew up in church and had a falling away and then maybe they're looking at like saying well maybe this has some relevance for me and and recognizing that a lot of the the the, the ministry they're doing has has similarities to the ministry we're doing and, and it's not that far apart even though it is culturally different and yeah. and quite a quite a, quite a far apart you know uh, miles wise but there, there is a uh, a set of priorities that they carry, a priority of hospitality that has been extremely meaningful for the people they're ministering to. And as I've just really tried to submit myself to learn from them and say, what can our community benefit mm -hmm. from, from seeing God's work in their life and how he's yeah. moving? Um, and then try to say, okay, those priorities seem to be really resonating with those people who are sort of post-church and they're now coming back. Um and so how will they resonate with our people? And they seem to. It seems to be a very beneficial thing just to think about the way we're hosting people in spaces mm -hmm. and, and making sure that they, they, they feel like they're, they're kind of coming home, yeah. you know. And just, just the benefit of that priority of hospitality and, and the sort of the spiritual discipline of being hospitable to people. If you want to have access to donor-exclusive events and content like what you just heard, you should join Basecamp. Basecamp is our community of monthly recurring donors. You can join anytime at any level and start encouraging, equipping, and supplying disciple makers around the world. If you're interested in joining Basecamp and standing with our field partners, head to unchartedinternational.org give and join today.